Peace and welcome to Design to Thrive podcast, a space dedicated to sharing practical ways to design, deliver, and develop equitable learning environments. I'm your host, Alyssa Frazier, and each week we'll sip on some great conversation with teachers, school leaders, and community partners who are all passionate about making school a place where all kids can thrive. Um, just to kind of reel us back a little bit, um, I am in my fourth year at Loyola, um, working on an EDD in curriculum and instruction. And um, in the Loyola community, we are, um, I would say, I don't want to say isolated, but we are in pockets. And um, this was the first, literally in the last maybe six to nine months, mm-hmm. this was the first time that um, by, on purpose, we had a, a, a few folks in the community that were like, hey, we need to get the diaspora together. Right. And we need to start talking about um, how we can create more spaces to um, talk about the things that are happening um, both in our individual experiences, so we can improve the program, so that we can um, look at how we are connected with the larger Chicago area and, and um, different ways. And it was because of that, and Janice was a big, Janice Nolan, she was a big, she was a big part of that, um, because she's all about getting us together. And it was out of those efforts that I began to dialogue with um, other members of the Loyola community, and one of them is Brie Ellen or Brie. Brie is great. Cool. And what I realized was number one that we have such um, a dynamic, um, extended community, mm-hmm. and we have so much connection in terms of our passion for um, creating culturally responsive communities. Um, dismantling um, uh, racist and oppressive systems and um, really creating um, more robust, um, more equitable um, schools and learning environments, especially Mm -hmm. for our black and brown communities, which in Chicago, we have um, so, we have a very large Latina, Latina community. We have a large African-American community. And we also have a, a wide range of um, our international folks, as well as folks that, um, whose families are here. And then now they have kind of blended in and so many, we have such a rich, um, cultural landscape here. And so, um, I wanted to bring Brie on the show so that she could talk about her work in Grow Your Own, which is an amazing organization. And, um, to just talk a little bit more about that. And so, that's kind of my brief inter- introduction, but um, Bree, if you could um, kind of introduce yourself and, and share with our listeners um, kind of what you're passionate about and what you do. Yeah, so um, I, 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 Bree is fine. I go by Bree. I've been trying to figure out, Bree Ellen, Bree, I don't know. <laughs> it's shifted lately. Um, But yeah, currently I am the Director of Professional Development for Grow Your Own Illinois. And um, I came to that position, which I'll talk about a little more, um, through doing my PhD at Loyola 
in cultural and educational policy studies. And I just um, wrapped that up this summer. So thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll celebrate post-COVID eventually. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my work has always focused on trying to figure out how we achieve equity, um, not just as a matter of systemic, you know, issues that are happening within schools, but also in terms of like interpersonal relationships, like the, the dynamics that are happening in schools on a daily basis. Yeah. So my, my work at Loyola focused a lot on understanding those dynamics in the classroom, how teachers were essentially perpetuating racial ideas um, and racist ideas in the classroom through their practice with students. And um, in the process of doing that, I got introduced to Grow Your Own, which is an organization that is state legislated and is specifically aimed at increasing the teacher of color pipeline. Um, so both recruitment and retention you know, throughout the state of Illinois. And the, the longest running program, because it's had some iterations over the years, um, has been in Chicago, sort of the deepest roots um, and so most of our teacher candidates are Black or Latinx, part of that community. Um, and we also have other POC as well and Indigenous um, candidates. But yeah, so right now my role is focusing on doing what we call essentially pre-service professional development. So we know all of our teacher candidates, we help them, part of the process is we're helping them enroll, most of them in teacher ed programs. Um, some of them come to us enrolled, but um, many of them, it's part of the re-entry process back into um, either a bachelor's degree, a few go into a master's degree. Um, and then what we do is we essentially build community with them through uh, professional development and through community meetings. So folks come in to grow your own um, predominantly to either you know, complete a bachelor's degree or even start a bachelor's degree. There's a large pool of our candidates that are current paraprofessionals, teaching assistants, SICAs in CPS. And so we intentionally recruit from that base because we know it's predominantly black and brown. Um, and so we're oftentimes helping people to complete those bachelor's degrees and move on to teacher certification. And part of what I get to do for my job is really address what's not addressed in teacher ed programs. So every time that we meet, we meet monthly and then we provide some other stuff, but we talk about critical race theory. We talk about culturally responsive pedagogy. We talk about what's going on in communities that's often not addressed in schools. So, okay. And I know we're still just talking about what we're, what we're doing, which is amazing, but I got to jump in on this. I got to jump in on this. So what I'm hearing you highlight is the, the um, reservoir of um, really the fact that we have black and brown folks tiered mm -hmm. in school systems and we're in Chicago, right? And so we might have a 75, 80% white female teacher, um, current teacher um, workforce, but those numbers are totally flipped when we look at our paraprofessionals and our SICAs. And mm -hmm. that is blowing my mind right now, thinking mm -hmm. about how we can tap into folks who, oh my goodness, we have folks that have been teacher's assistants that have been paraprofessionals for sometimes two, three, five, ten years yeah. and uh -huh. they are or longer and they are amazing. Right. And 
how are we taking that group of people and cultivating them and credentialing them by the right ISB or our, our governing bodies and creating these pipelines where we hear, you know, we don't have enough folks of color. How mm -hmm. are we creating these pipelines from what we already have? Like you don't have to go out and see, they're there, right there. Right. So, um, but keep going. I'm just, no, well, I mean, to that, a lot of people don't realize like the historical and the current sort of landscape of that in Chicago, right? So, I mean, you know that in CPS, I mean, we're about 90% um, black and brown students, you know, Certainly are. Um, and we, we usually, you know, it hovers somewhere between 88, whatever, 91 sort yep. of percent. Um, white students are overrepresented in schools that are um, like magnet schools. We have selective enrollment, which is like competitive admissions. Um, people outside of Chicago may not know that. Yep. Um, but usually white students are represented at a rate of about 40% in many of those schools, right? And so we yes. see just in the student body how that's occurred. But many folks don't realize that, you know, when my dad grew up on 74th and Calumet and went to Deneen um, Grammar School, you know, all of his teachers were black. I think he had one white teacher before high school, um, and maybe that was in kindergarten, I can't remember. Um, by the time that he was in high school and, and the district was supposedly <laughs> doing some integration work, which was questionable at best, so we're talking about late 70s, um, mid to late 70s, the teacher workforce was completely shifting, right? Black teachers were being fired, black schools were being closed, and um, white teachers were being hired. And so that is a trend that has carried from easily from 1970 through 2020. So we're talking about, you know, 50 years of that every time even school closings in 2013. Sure. Black schools closed, Latinx schools closed, those teachers were not rehired as a part of the new process. And so we see like a continuous a continuous whitening of the teacher workforce even in a place where we have predominantly students of color. Yeah, and and it's really important to to bring that historical context um, into play um because there is a there is a disconnect there's a disconnect between the communities that are being served and the communities that are coming in to teach but then they're leaving out right, right. so i'm coming in to teach you but i'm not invested in this community because i don't live in this community neither do i um have I formed relationships, even even if I don't live in this community, but, you know, I do this here, I come and I volunteer here, or um, the parents know me to do this, or, or I've, I am connected, and I see this community as an extension of me, right. um, as well as the training for um, all the different ways that you can be culturally responsive instead of, like, the, the checklist method, and so, um, it's important to situate that. I appreciate that, but I, I'm interrupting you. I'm interrupting you. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, we could do this all day. <laughs> yes. Um, you know that everything that you just said is really the was the impetus behind Grow Your Own. You know, it grew out of um, the sort of the longest running branch that we have right now was through the Logan Square Neighborhood Association, and it grew out of this desire for. Um, parents, you know, and community members who are already heavily involved in the school 
laboring essentially for free yes as teachers right and i think that you know some of the pushback to programs like this i think especially from the white teaching workforce is you know you're saying that i can't be a good teacher or i'm not a good teacher and it's the that's not actually what's up for debate i mean there's there's no question that a teacher may have content mastery that a teacher may have um, exited their teacher ed program and and done extremely well on exams. I mean, there's and 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 even have a love for working with students. But if you are not a community based teacher, if you don't see those children as extensions of yourself, which I love that phrasing, um, you can't be the best teacher that that kid can have. Yes, um, I think we we see that over and over again in terms of research. Community grounding is extremely important. Yes, yes, and even understanding um understanding even what the the literature and the research says about um um culturally responsive teaching and and um the brain science behind that that uh zaretta hammett has done an amazing job with her culturally responsive teaching in the brain and really understanding um the the brain science behind it the research behind it um and that it's not it, it's not based on like, hey, we just feel this way, but to the point that even if we did say, hey, this is important to us, and this yeah. is a this is a thing for our community, we really need folks that are invested in our community. Um, that would still be a that would still be valid because the needs of the community um, are are super important. And so, um, but yes, so talk to us. So now we know a little bit more, or the listeners know a little bit more about um, Grow Your Own. Um, and I knew kind of Grow Your Own in a, in a cursory way, like this is what they're doing, um, but not really the, the inner workings. And so yeah. can you talk to us a little bit about um, some of the, the really good things that Grow Your Own is, is doing in regards to um, creating more equitable schools and, and um, what you've seen in your role as the uh, the professional development director did i get that title correct yeah director yeah. of professional development professional yeah. development correct <laughs> same thing <laughs> you're paying me to do the same job yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean there i think there are two major facets to what gyo does and i think one is being played up a little bit more than the other right now but part of those the the roots of the organization, like I said before, are community organizing roots. And part of the reason I say that is not just because it was, you know, a community organization and community members that really um, wanted this to happen, right, and called for it to happen, but it was truly, it required organizing in order to actually get this legislation passed, right, initially and then again, when essentially, um, um, you know, when there was like the shutdown with budget, um, GYO lost its funding for a while. And so, you know, the, this Logan Square program was the one that sustained itself um, with support from community. But I say that to say that GYO as an organization and the, the people who work for it and the students who are part of it and the teachers who sort of leave that program um, are all really interested in the policy level things that are happening, right? So like in order to make GYO happen, there had to be legislation that actually occurred. And it's a continuously revisited piece of legislation. There are always people that are um, sort of pushing against it, but then there are also people that are holding us accountable. I know that our GYO um, 
office was talking to folks at the Black Caucus the other day in the Illinois legislature who were basically saying, we want to see your data because we want to really know that this program is doing what the legislation is requiring of it. And those are important questions to be asked, right? Like it's a, it's a, an informal audit in some ways um, that we are actively participating in like our mission and actually increasing the number of teachers of color that are entering the workforce are helping to retain them. So there's a policy element that I think is exciting that um, we're trying to get candidates re-engaged with right now. Um, and that's kind of like the undergirding of that process. The other piece is that prior to me being with GYO, which started in April, um, professional development and which really occurred in like these monthly cohort meetings was largely like outsourced with the community. And we still bring in a lot of community presenters, but it was kind of like the last, um, the last thing on the list, right? The most important thing is to make sure that candidates are enrolled, you know, that they um, have the money for tuition that the state is helping them get, that they're supported in all the other ways that teacher candidates need to be supported. And like I said, most of our candidates are full-time employees. They have partners, they have kids or other responsibilities. So it requires a network of support. And so PD and these cohort meetings were oftentimes, oftentimes like an afterthought. It would sort of be like, okay, what do you guys want to talk about? And so we'll bring in someone to talk about, say, um, you know, how to protect undocumented students as a teacher, right? Important topics, extremely important topics. But this idea of especially culturally responsive pedagogy, which is like, and in many ways, the foundation for what we're doing and what we're trying to do wasn't really like systematically a piece that we were revisiting. And so one of the cool things that I'm getting to do is help to build both the framework for how we approach professional development with teachers to have it be this thing that is um, consistent when a, a teacher enters, if they enter now, if they enter in two years and four years, they're going to be enveloped by that. And then also to help provide some structure that allows teachers to revisit different points of that across their timeline with GYO. Um, and so, you know, we really place a lot of onus on this idea that like the teacher is part of the larger school community, a part of the larger community that the school resides in, and a part of the larger teacher workforce. And so we're, we talk a lot about understanding um, the role of the individual in terms of agency and community organizing, but also knowing like the landscape. And so in many ways, like we're so new with this work as an organization to really be deepening into that. Um, but yeah, I feel like that was a lot of words. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think that, um, I think it's helpful to mm -hmm. like, um, to really go through, these are the foundations. This has been the foundation. Um, and as you were talking, I was thinking more about how right now, teachers are back in the classroom they're in the midst of of we're still in the pandemic and yeah. there's uh in looming in the background is um oh my goodness um test numbers oh my goodness we've got to right. do this we got to do this we got to do this um whether it's real or imagined and i'm and i know in, in some spaces it, it's very very real and in other mm -hmm. spaces it's assumed and so it's kind of the the elephant that's in there um yeah. but what i was thinking about was oh my goodness there can be an organization that um whose heart and intent 
is geared towards creating these pipelines, but you can still have um, systems in place where you're like, hey, we got to get this, we got to move this, we got to move that, we got to move that. But the whole idea of um, this ongoing professional development, which is so key to not only getting information, but getting it in um, a way where you're looking at the data, where you are assessing the need, where you're providing ongoing resources for the need, that professional Mm -hmm. development piece is so pivotal. And even having that connected community, kind of that cohort model, Mm -hmm. um, even an organization like yours can, can kind of fall back a little bit on that really key area. And so um, in the time of COVID, seeing organizations um, say, wait a second, we need this full-time professional development um, staffing. We need this. And like that right there is saying that in the midst of all this, this funding and here we go, let's make sure that we get teachers that we see quote unquote potential or we see these fantastic things or we have all these wants and needs. But if we're not pouring into our teachers in ways where we're connecting with the students and connecting with their families, then all of these things that we're doing, right, is like we're just doing these things without the connection. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I mean, you know, even what we're doing whether it's with teachers that are still in school, sort of pre-service teachers, or our graduates who we've been really intentionally trying to now re-engage, who are actively in the classroom, um, you know, we've been continuing to have virtual sessions more frequently because they're, they're, they need it. They're requesting it because they're, they're trying to navigate just like we all are, especially if we're working from home. And Come on, e-learning, remote learning. Exactly right. How do we how do we do every how do we learn remotely? How do we organize remotely? How do we continue to make progress remotely? Um, especially what like you said, when those things, those benchmarks and everything are always looming in the background. And so part of, you know, I think I shared with you before that we did like the summer institute with a group of about a dozen teachers, and about half of them were um, you know, current teachers and half of them were, were teacher candidates. But we talked about like teaching about COVID essentially with students, like taking that elephant in the room, right? And talking about it, regardless of your subject matter, using critical race theory, using community organizing ideas. And so it was this opportunity for them to sit down and really um, communicate with one another and work with one another as peers to just digest everything that's been going on you know they they had just been thrown into months of online remote learning come on come on Um, and we're and we're doing their best to like scrap through it like everyone was um and especially with limited resources you know and so many of our teachers intentionally are serving communities that are the most um vulnerable Yes, the most vulnerable, but disinvested in the digital gap, right? Yeah, yeah. Come <laughs> on, in that space where they don't have internet, where they don't have the the devices, and we see, you know, CPS is doing what it can to try and increase that access. Um, but it's also it's hard to know what's going on on the ground until you talk to these teachers and you find out yes. like what the daily struggles yes. are like in terms of just trying to connect with students. 
um, in a way that says, I'm not just worried about your test score, right? Yes. I, I want to know that you're okay when it's you and your brother and your sister who are all sitting at the dining room table trying to do this online learning separately, but together at the same time. And maybe yes. your parents, you know, like it's, there's so many different layers to what's happening right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and even the ability to pivot. Uh, mm -hmm. And I'm saying because we've had conversations, um, me and my partner, um, we've had conversations where, you know, he said to me, we need to up our package and we have a really good internet package, right? right? <laughs> where he's like, you know, babe, it wasn't like this before. And um, it's getting worse. He said, we need to get the, 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 we need to up our package. And we're really privileged that we can look at our budget, Right. look at the the package that needs to be increased and make a telephone call and schedule it and it's done right right where right. we have a family of um we have a family of five and no we have a family of six we have a daughter who's in college who mm -hmm. is not here who comes to eat our food and goes right. back um who anyway she's living on campus but we're 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 gonna keep moving um, right. but we have multiple devices streaming. Mm -hmm. And when we think about our kiddos who do have school given devices, um, that may or may not be LTE, uh, enabled, and they are all dependent on this internet. And right. we are, we we're down the street from Deneen. I know you mentioned Deneen. <laughs> We live down the street from Deneen. And yeah. so we think about areas of the city that have more um, robust infrastructures. Mm -hmm. I want you to think about that, right? Some right. areas have more robust infrastructures. Right. And right. Even, even teachers who are teaching from the building, which is what we've been seeing a lot lately, where teachers mm -hmm. are teaching from their classrooms yeah. in the buildings, but think about the robust infrastructure that's there in the building to support right. them, but they are right. interacting with students right. who are at home who don't have that. Right. Well, and part of, part of my thinking about equity in this too, where we're at is it's not just like with what's happening right now, but when you talk about benchmarks and progress and test scores, you know, when we all do come back in person in a year or maybe two years, I mean, yeah. I don't know what we're looking at now, but it's not equitable to say, you know, to give everyone the same test and to say, well, you know, you scored a 24% and you scored a 72%. And, you know, I guess we're going to have to like hold you back. Right. And sure. CPS is, they're not afraid to hold back students. Sure. <laughs> Sure. Done too many things, right? And so how do we even think about post COVID essentially from an equity perspective? What does it look like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, I think, I think you and I talked about this at one point, but you know, Dr. Bettina Love, who's out of, um, Georgia yeah. and, um, she's gotten a lot of press lately for her new book, which I'm blanking on the name of, but, um, 
she wrote an article recently that was basically saying like teachers we can't go back to the way things were yeah right? and because we know yes. being in the field that the way things were was not equitable the way yes. things were was not actually serving many of our students um on a on a human level right yes. on a yes. thing to thrive as a person yeah so in many ways this is a unique unique opportunity even in this moment that everything yes. feels um tragic in some ways right well yes. like, you know some students are not getting what they need and even the students who have all the resources are still emotionally <laughs> struggling with trying yes. to navigate this yeah um so I've been thinking about that too. And I think teachers are are thinking about it, you know. They're trying to figure out what what does the future yeah. kind of look like. Um, and how can we kind of harness this innovation that teachers are are kind of forcing themselves into right now for the future. Well, and it's interesting that you say that because um when I think about innovation, mm. innovation is often driven by desire and need and we have mm -hmm. both at the same time we have a need um right. folks that that technological advancements um were driven by hey we have a need to do this more um in a better way more efficiently to reach more people there's all of this need right. and so yes i see the tragic but what i'm saying i'm saying right now that the innovation in thought is yeah. going to drive the innovation in practice is what i'm yeah what i'm thinking yeah and i think and i think that to me even when i reference tragedy it's like that is what's being um bounced fed back. to us yeah it's, it's been fed to us it's right been... so that's what we're receiving is the tragedy of this moment you know and there's so much that's not tragic about it you know I mean there's so much about it that like you said I mean we have desire we have need and many of these desires and needs have been there but now they're just amplified and so it's like this is a moment that I see teachers leaning into um to to innovate to Ooh. make things happen to to yes. try things that they've wanted to try yes been able to try to delve into ideas to have community conversations that haven't been happening before yes and so it's not tragic, right? It's, like it really yes. is it's a moment of opportunity. It's a moment of opportunity. So for people that are, for people, teachers, um, school leaders, mm -hmm. even folks that want to support and invest um, into this forward thinking, if we could even pull it back a little bit more. And um, yeah. on this show, we're really in, we're really invested in giving folks nuggets and like t what I call tangible takeaways. And so mm -hmm. if we've got teachers that are listening, they're like, Hey, this sounds amazing. What is maybe, what are maybe one or two things that um, the grow your own community has seen they've done um, and mm -hmm. they've, they've, that it's been that you've seen positive results that, um, folks have been excited about and it's been working. What are maybe one or two things that a teacher could begin to do like tomorrow? Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the one of the the results of what's happening right now, just in our um, 
how we're kind of living as a result of the pandemic, but then now also how we're doing education as a result of the pandemic is that even though we have this te technological connection, a lot of people are feeling isolated. And I think teachers, you know, that I've talked to as they've started their first days, you know, over the past several weeks, it's like this very personal um, anxiety, right? Because it's not like first day of school where you all come into the building and maybe you get to see your best teacher friend who you can, you know, talk to and give yes. some love to and they can pump you up. And yes. it's just not happening in the same way. Yes. Um, and you know, one of the things that we focus in on with, and again, this is those, the community roots, I think of what we do at GYO, but we really focus in on that idea of being a good teacher means knowing your community, right? Knowing who they are, knowing who you are and figuring out that relationship. And so I think what we've seen are the most successful moments, whether it's in the summer Institute or whether it's stories from teachers that are, that are actively teaching right now in their own schools, it's where teachers are talking with one another, are relying on one another, are finding out what's going on in the community, right? Are, and teachers do this all the time in a regular school environment, yeah. right? But now in this new environment. So I think those, those, I almost wanna say instincts, but I don't wanna sort of suppose that for everyone it's an instinct, but schools thrive when they are communities. And I think when they are communities unto themselves, but when they're embedded. And so I think my advice to a teacher, especially with what I've seen working would be to either get connected to or remain connected to your fellow teachers, right? And what I, what I do see happening that I do think is fruitful is that you also have teachers um, who are in different schools sharing ideas, right? So beyond like the curriculum sharing that teachers do a lot of, which is awesome, but truly creating networks of support, right? And collaboration in new ways. Um, and I think those from a teaching perspective, that seems to be the tool to me that's like gonna carry us kind of through um, whatever phase of <laughs> teaching life that we're in right now. Yeah, and and I think that it's the, the distinction that you made, um, is not always made the distinction of saying that we share curriculum right mm -hmm. and that's the difference between i have a department meeting and i go to my department meeting and i was asked to read this thing and to come prepared and i've come but i haven't come to one bring my challenges and more than that two bring potential solutions right, right. and three to come with the intent of mm -hmm. connecting mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so that those together are mm -hmm. really that community aspect versus mm -hmm. coming together to share mm -hmm. curriculum it's always great but and i wanted to just lift that up a little bit more because in schools and i was a um an english department chair and so we get our directives and what have you and we're making this shift um right. so we're the mediators right mm -hmm. um and teachers come in and so there's an expectation that something is going to be told to us we got to do this thing it's part of the initiative blah 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 but we're not coming in as a community and right. if we're not coming in as a community or even cultivating community then that is going to trickle towards 
um, our ability to take all these fantastic things that we're kind of crowdsourcing solutions, right? We're saying, hey, this, this, this. And then, oh my goodness, now we have this reservoir, um, right. a reservoir of um, not just resilience, but that mm -hmm. like that that building up that we get that can, and that's why I was so excited to to connect with you because I, I feel like every single time that we've talked, when I get off the phone, like I'm like, I was here and I'm like, Shh. <laughs> like totally like, man, just totally pumped up. Um, and so I'm like, wow, how amazing would it be to know that, that we can have that feeling um, all the time. And so um, that seems really uh, like foundational, but yeah. it's, but it's not happening. And so yeah, that grow your own um, model that you're yeah. talking about is something that um, teachers that teachers could do on the um, really on the ground, but that even mm -hmm. administrators and leaders mm -hmm. could then do do their own kind of like their own self check and to say, uh -huh. hey, what am I reinforcing? unintendedly right, right. um and right. what yeah 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 yeah. Um, i think the other like the the other thing that i would add to it as another extension is like you know i love i love early childhood teachers for this because i think early childhood teachers when we think about like who has a potential to really understand social emotional learning on like a real base level right i feel like in many ways it's the people who work with like the youngest children oh they're ever... amazing and so sometimes you know in when we're having these conversations i love how their minds are working you know we're talking about covid we were talking about crt and they're thinking okay how do i make this workable for a three-year-old right? come on now translation because it can happen we're not thinking about it right but i say that to say what we need our kids need so like yeah. if we need you know i hear teachers you know there's some districts out here that are saying giving etiquette videos to teachers on like how you should show up to the zoom call and telling women to wear makeup and you know all i mean just there's a whole universe of things that are happening right now yep um, and I think when, you know, teachers' responses to that are oftentimes what we would expect. It's like, what? <laughs> why yes. why do I need to show up like that? You know, the most important thing is how, how I'm teaching and how I'm relating. And I feel like we need to extend that same grace and compassion to students. Yeah. Um, you know, teachers have been really upset about students not having their video camera on. And I understand there's a whole host of reasons for that but like what's most important to me from a from a parent perspective right um or even thinking from a teacher perspective is like understanding all of the reasons why yeah. that may be happening and also is it that important right so i i think participation is something that we should be emphasizing right now yes, engagement so yes yeah, so so much more broadly about what engagement means Yes. We think about it, we're, you know, we're told to think about it in terms of our regular classroom environment. We have to be thinking about it beyond whether I can see your face or not, right? Yes. How do I know that you're actually here yes. and engaged, um, versus whether or not you're willing to show me your bedroom or, <laughs> you yes. know, whatever else is going on in your life. Oh my gosh. 
Well, so I want to, one, yes, 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 yes. I'm digesting. I'm digesting. Um, so I want to thank you for um, being here. And um, I want to thank you for your, how approachable you are. And um, I've just giving me things to think about um, so much. Like I'm like um, right now. But just for, even need a follow -up. I'm telling you, 2.0, 2.0, 2.0, Brie Allen, 2.0. Um, so for folks that want to get a hold of, uh, get a hold of you, um, connect with you a little bit more, learn a little bit more about Grow Your Own, um, where can they reach you? Um, the best way is via email and it's bgriffin at gyo-il.org. Um, but you can also find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on all the other, the other social media sites as well. You can get me on Twitter if you want. Um, but email is, or LinkedIn is probably the best way right now to reach me. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and, um, until next time, keep shining.